Welcome to the D&D Roundtable, your premier source for D&D news. We cover everything D&D from Wizards of the Coast. We cover updates from the convention circuit. We cover new and exciting products, casts and streams, and events for D&D. We cover happenings in organized play. If it's D&D related, we cover it here. There are a lot of subscription services out there that deliver things right to your door these days. Veggies, movies, meat, pet toys, artisanal jams, collectibles, RPGs, pictures of cool places, music, butter, dice. Wait, what? There is literally only one thing on that list that would make my life complete. A monthly subscription service for dice? Dice Envy has subscription services for dice. They send you a unique set every single month right to your house. Go check out their subscriptions. Or if you just want to go buy some of their unique and interesting dice, head over to DiceEnvy.com and let them know that the Tome Show sent you. Look, here's the thing. Noble Knight has been supporting the Tome Show for a really long time now. They provide a great service. They'll sell you new products, but they specialize in finding old and out of print things. If you've got something that you want to buy, if you've got something you want to sell or get store credit for, Noble Knight is a great way to go. We've done a lot of crazy ads over the years to try to get your attention and let you know about Noble Knight. And if you don't know about them by now, you're not paying attention or you're a new listener. Welcome. I was just sitting here lamenting a dilemma dramatically. Or old classic. New and shiny. And so the debate continues since the dawn of gaming. Hello! Hello, citizens! Oh, thank goodness! Adventurers! We need a noble knight! Remember when a Sarak built a tomb in Greyhawk? Noble knight does. But just straight up. Noble knight. They provide a great service. You need stuff. They got stuff. Old, new, all of it. Go check them out. Let them know the Tome Show sent you. For all your gaming needs, noblenight.com. Roundtable, and today we are going to be talking about Ravnica. Uh, you may have seen recently that Wizards of the Coast has announced a brand new book, The Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica, and we have several very special guests joining us today who are going to talk with us a little bit and share our enthusiasm about Ravnica. We have today joining us Jesse Callahan, uh, CJ Oliver, and Gail Senator, and of course, as always, my lovely co-host, Paige Lightman. Jesse, why don't you introduce yourselves to our guests? Uh, hi, my name is Jesse. Uh, I am a 16-year Magic the Gathering veteran and 14-year Dungeons & Dragons veteran. I also run uh, a gaming store here in San Jose, California, known as the Channel Fireball Gaming Center. So it's one of the largest, most premier uh, sort of Magic the Gathering brands uh, here in America. Our company runs like all the Grand Prix and everything. 
I'm just super excited about Ravnica and super excited about D&D and their merging together. Oh, yes. Super excited myself for that merger. I used to be a magic nerd myself. Actually, that's one of the ways that I met my good friend, Gail. Why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself? So, I, I'm Gail. I work for StarCityGames.com, the world's largest online retailer of Magic the Gathering. Unfortunately, sometimes people pit Channel Farbell and Star City Games against each other, but we're friends. <laughs> I'm, I swear, no hard feelings. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I've, I've been in Magic off and on since my undergrad years of college many, many moons ago. Uh, occasionally I do attend shows for altering cards and sketching out tokens for people. I can be found at uh, TCG underscore surgeon at Twitter and on Facebook. All right, and we'll go through those where to find you's again later. So CJ, tell everyone a little bit about yourself. Hi, I'm CJ Oliver, and I am a Adventurers League um, store coordinator and DM for the Fredericksburg, Virginia area, specifically at Your Hobby Place in Fredericksburg, Virginia. And I've also played Magic the Gathering since 1995, a little bit on the competitive scene. And I'm also very excited about uh, this Ravnica partnership. Excellent. Well, thank you for joining us on the D&D Roundtable. I think this is a panel of guests that is really going to help us explore what is coming up with Ravnica. So let's start off, let's start off with the high point. Actually, no, let's start off with the get to know you question. What is your favorite Ravnica guild and why? Uh, let's see. CJ, you want to start us with that one? That is actually a very difficult question to answer because I know, there right? There are good. so many good combinations with the guilds. Um, I really love Orzov because I always personally liked playing white and black together even before there was really card support for it. But Golgari ultimately has my heart there. Really? Why Golgari? Well, so uh, it's kind of a joke, but there's the Lotleth Troll card is one of the Golgari cards that was very popular when it first came out. Um, my husband's name is Larry. Our last name is Oliver. So we called that the Lolliver Troll. <laughs> and um, <laughs> so we just, yeah, we always came up with fun alternate color card names. And I got very attached to playing uh those two color combinations and of course death right shaman um who doesn't love death right shaman so uh <laughs> just that whole cycle of death and decay and renewal i really like that combination together so it's golgari for me excellent excellent jesse tell me about your favorite ravnica guild and and why um, so this is going to come as a surprise, I think, to most people uh, who know me. My favorite Ravnica guild is actually the Cult of Rakdos. Uh, really? Sort of the, yeah, the red blacks, demon-worshipping, hyper-chaotic, uh, incredibly violent cult. Um, and I think part of that is because uh, it's interesting to see that in a in a, sort of in a light in a world where it's it's not only. Uh, sort of accepted as part of the city, maybe not by other people, but it is part of it. 
and it's a necessary evil. Um, it's part of this sort of like great balance that Ravnica has. Um, and I, I just, I'm, I'm always one for like uh, sanctioned hedonism, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. I always pegged you as more as a blue player. No, no. Uh, I black, red, and green are sort of the core colors uh, that yeah, okay. I'm into. All right, Gail. So tell us about your favorite Ravnica guild. Well, I'm kind of glad that my favorite guild is in Golgari, so we can actually have more than two other guilds to talk about. Uh, while I enjoy Golgari wholeheartedly, I also like Simic. But probably Demir is is the house that I align myself up with more. Because I like to be parts of a lot of things. However, with like the uh, along the lines of the, that particular house, well, they're parts of a lot of things, but nobody knows your true alliance at that point. And I don't mean it negatively, but I... I sometimes enjoy knowing things, and sometimes I'm really bad about telling people about things. <laughs> but I, I will let them know things when, when it's deemed necessary. You know, it's a need-to-know information, and they don't need to know. All right, Jenny, what about you? Oh, man. So I am a fan of the Boros Legion. Let's rain angels down from the heavens on everyone and if that doesn't work let's lay some vicious burn on them okay mm -hmm. <laughs> <There> um, <we> go. <laughs> i mean do you really need another color besides red and white i mean really i mean i mean me personally i need a whole lot of black and blue but i mean to each their own right <laughs> i was about to say red and white I are mean, my least favorite colors in magic <laughs> More dudes, more life gain, more uh, F you lightning bolt to the face, more goblins, more, I mean, come on. <laughs> uh, what doesn't it have? I will true. say outside of anything else, lightning helix is probably my most favorite card in all of magic. It, yeah. it is a very good card. I'll um, give it that. Lightning to the face in whatever form it may take is, is never overrated. Just, just throw it right at their face. And, and what are they going to do? They're gonna die, you know. Yeah, they're just gonna <laughs> they're gonna take it or absorb it, and someone's gonna be angry. So um, it's a lightning bolt to the face. Is kind of your Ravnica version of forty kobolds. Yes. <laughs> no, it kind of is. Um, so that's fine. But let's go on to the next question then, okay? Instead of picking on me. <laughs> um. So we kind of cover our, our favorite guilds, but like. What is it about Ravnica that you think that it offers to players that really just makes it a very unique setting? Um, and, and one that's very different than Forgotten Realms, because that's what D&D players are kind of used to is FR. Yeah, so, very, very unique, very different. Um, uh, it's going to be a, a, a brand new experience for people. Let's, uh, let's start with you, CJ. Yeah, it's funny. One of my friends, uh, when they saw the news about Ravnica and Eberron coming out, said, I don't understand why Ravnica is coming out, why we already have a steampunk environment with Eberron coming out. And I just kind of looked at him and said, Ravnica is not steampunk. Ravnica is 
everything. I mean, there can be a little bit of that, but there's such a diversity in what you can find in this world and have a rich history for it. And, you know, there is a mechanical aspect, but there's also very much a verdant nature and reckless abandon like with Rakdos. And I think another thing that I'm really interested to see how they've done it in the campaign guide is that there isn't a guild that we can say is the villain. Every guild takes their ideology to an extreme and that has both good and bad qualities. So I'm looking forward to a world where you can be anything you want to be and the villain or the hero can really be part of any one of these guilds. It's not kind of boxed into one um, method of looking at what is good and what is bad in this world. And that's certainly very true, especially, you know, Jesse earlier mentioned that he's very much a fan of a evil guild, but they're not necessarily the villains. So, I mean, Jesse, what do you think makes it unique, though, speaking of you? So I think Ravnica is really about a world embroiled and built on uh, successful conflict resolution. Um, I think at the end of the day, uh, Ravnica has to go back to this sort of state of balance or everything falls apart. Um so it's important to sort of recognize that uh, it's not that we have to stop evil or stop good. It's that we have to stop everything from getting out of hand. And I really like that. It's it's a very like Mordenkainen approach to a world where we can't always fight on the side of good because sometimes oh, good me. is going too far. Yeah, you've kind of got to keep the scales balanced. That way you don't fall into chaos on either end of the spectrum. No, definitely agree. Um, Gail? I definitely agree with the whole keeping the balance thing. Because like with Orzov, you have that already established uh, religion and high you know, influence of the church. But just like with most things, you can always have those corrupt people in the church. A lot of the other guilds, they're not bad people. There's just some people in those guilds that take it to an extreme that while they're acting on their own accord, they can be perceived as evil, which may or may not actually reflect upon the guild. And if some people are worried about, oh, but it's too steampunk. No, no, no. Steampunk definitely belongs to Kaladesh. That's that's another plane. Like, Ravnica definitely gives a very good approach to how a city functions because it brings in so many different classes and other parts that need to tick for a city to work. So you have like Selesnia, they more or less are like the garden folk and they have to populate things, this, that, and the other. You have both Izzet and Civic that do all the science-related stuff, both on like an alchemic level and a biology level. So there's a whole lot of things that sort of do a check and balance between themselves, and that's why all of it together just allows anybody to sort of pick the side that they want to be on. Oh, no, absolutely agree. And we've kind of just dug down into the nitty-gritty of Ravnica. Maybe we want to pull it back up a little bit. Paige, do you want to kind of explain, like, high level a little bit to people who aren't familiar with Ravnica, maybe what it is and what and how the um, 
the mana system kind of works in Magic that these guilds have kind of adopted. So, actually, I got a, a quick a quick blurb that I can read that kind of describes it a little bit, and then you can. All right. Uh, so Ravnica is um, a a planet that is basically a worldwide cityscape, um, kind of like you've seen in Star Wars uh, with the the capital planet there, just one large city. It's like a patchwork of uh, grand guild halls, slums, ruins, stonework, guild maneuverings, uh, you name it. It's all kind of this big interconnected one giant city. And the main thing that it has there is the ten guilds, each of which has mastered two of the different five colors of mana, which kind of gives each of them their characteristics in the world. Um, so, Paige, I know that you've got a lot of you you're really into like the um mana uh spectrum and color wheel of ravnica so one thing that uh ravnica offers dungeons and dragons players um because there's two ways to look at this what does the ravnica setting offer D D players and what does the ravnica setting offer magic players so from a what does it offer D D players perspective is that in D&D, you have the nine schools of magic and you have your spells and it all works a certain way. This setting turns our understanding of magic upside down and I I can't say anything about what they're going to come out with because, you know, who knows, right? Uh, One thing it it allows us to do magically is kind of break away from this way that we've looked at magic in D and D for 35 or 40 years and look at it in a separate way where every magic is associated with a particular color. Um, and I don't know that it's worthwhile to get into the true specifics of the color wheel, but there's a whole lot to learn for D and D players on how each color of magic represents an alignment it represents a philosophy it represents a world view that um that it will be an interesting set of principles for D players to cotton to and actually jesse i know you know a lot about that why don't you why don't you come in and tell our folks a little more about that uh yeah so the color pie is uh basically a, f- a five-step alignment system um for, for magic sort of philosophy on, on how things work. Um, m- magic doesn't have this sort of uh, eternal struggle between uh, good and evil or uh, law and chaos quite as uh, in quite such a binary that D&D typically has. It's, it's more about uh, every color has something that it, it believes to its core to be true, and uh, it has two allies that somewhat share its opinions and two enemies that oppose it vehemently. And uh, so, for instance, white is the color of order. So you're going to see a lot of lawful characters have that, that sort of white background. Uh, and then uh, red is a color very specifically of chaos. You're going to find very chaotic characters. Uh, where, where that breaks down away from D&D is uh, white, uh, the color of law, is not also the color of good. You can have lawful evil characters uh, with this incredibly uh, powerful, radiant connection to the divine of the multiverse because they believe in law, not because they believe in good. 
Um, and the, the same is true for, for black characters. They can have an incredible power and connection to like necromancy, death, decay. They don't have to be evil. They're just connected to black uh, as a color in that way. So the, the colors sort of together sculpt uh, the worldview and all goals and all everything inside of them. And then inside of that color wheel, uh, you sort of usually pick between one and three to describe your total outlook on life. And in Ravnica, it's most common to find uh, the world expressed as two different colors. Uh, all ten two-color combinations are represented. Um, so guilds that are like uh, allied colors, like white and blue, the Azorius Law Guild, uh, blue believes in logic and white believes in law, and together they're like a legal system. Uh, that that's sort of what you're looking at is these combinations of of two ideologies uh, pulled to the extreme. I think it was a, a very very great description. So like you've got like the red white of Boros, and they're kind of like the military, or like the uh, green blue of the Simic combine, and they're kind of like working on nature, changing it, keeping the stuff and check and order and all of that and so it, it very much is kind of like a, a symbiotic relationship between some of the the color um pie spectrums and and how they kind of coexist to make everything one cohesive uh, the neat thing about it though is that the color philosophy plays into everything that guild does and it plays into everything that character does so it not only formulate or not only predicates what they do for a living like the blue white azorius senate is kind of the the lawgivers but it it says how they feel about it how they think about it what their strengths and weaknesses are likely to be and that is a really big break from traditional forgotten realms dnd i actually uh discarded uh the alignment chart uh, almost entirely um about a year and a half ago um, and I've started using only the color wheel to describe uh, characters, both that I play and in my games, even ones in Forgotten Realms. I feel like it's a more um, open and encompassing mechanic. It tells me more about the character at a glance than uh, Lawful Evil does, for instance. So that's a pretty good lead-in to our next question, though. I mean, what does Ravnica do for you, outside of that or including that, that the Forgotten Realms just doesn't offer? to you uh but jesse you've already started it so do you have anything else to add to that um so i think for me the biggest thing is i'm not uh, particularly f compelled by the forgotten realms in general um just because i, I didn't really get exposed to it all until fifth edition <clears throat> and even then my my exposure is pretty limited um for me it, it's uh it's about at the core uh the color wheel and the philosophy of magic uh, and sort of the the multiverse I love is the magic multiverse. Um, that's sort of where all of my fantasy knowledge starts. Uh, and so it's it offers me the opportunity to experience uh, a completely different uh, outside of the Dungeons and Dragons uh, nine alignment. Here are your adventurers world. Um, and I, I'm incredibly excited about that opportunity. Oh, no, absolutely. Um, Gail, how about you? Is there something that Ravnica really just speaks to you about? Uh, in, in terms of 
of how how it uh, ties into D and D. In terms of something that the Forgotten Realms doesn't have, yes. Uh, yeah, I I I agree uh, with Jesse on the the fact that kind of thinking in terms of the, the color wheel, color pie, instead of just the normal alignment chart does kind of help you flesh out what your character might think or do a little bit more than just the, the generic lawful good, lawful evil, chaotic neutral type things. Because it does like tie into a lot more like adjectives and feelings. Uh, I sadly have not played that many years of D&D. It's been very, very much off and on, and I wish that I started it much sooner than I did. So I definitely have had more experience in the magic versus uh, the role-playing. But yeah, like when I do hear of other people's campaigns and they describe their characters and their classes and stuff like that, in my head I'm like, oh, so that would be somebody that could be like blue-black character or the red-green characters. So it's just like that way I can kind of understand where they're coming from and sort of the ideas flesh out a bit more for what their characters should do. Absolutely. I think the, the whole color will system of alignment is a big thing that Ravnica is going to pull in. CJ, do you have anything to, to add that you find from Ravnica? I think one thing about the Forgotten Realms, although it's a splendid world, it's very predictable in some ways. Uh, it's a very traditional high fantasy sort of realm, and that makes it very accessible for new D&D players who have a certain idea of what they might find when they start playing Dungeons and Dragons. And that's why it it makes a great flagship world for us to present for our organized play. But I think Ravnica is going to provide some opportunities to turn some of the traditional concepts of Dungeons and Dragons on their head. And just because there is a little bit of a framework for this world based on the cards that have been created through Magic the Gathering and then the lore that went and accompanied the card sets created in Ravnica, we do have a structure for understanding that world. But most of its stories, I think, have yet to be written. So we don't have, other than a a very small number of uh, characters from legendary cards, cards and magic, we don't have names for a lot of the major players in Ravnica, which I think gives adventurers in Dungeons and Dragons kind of a bigger role to play in crafting what the ultimate story of Ravnica will be and putting themselves very front and center within that story. And it just has a a lot of potential for us to do very complex and crazy ideas that maybe don't work so well within the very traditional fantasy world of Forgotten Realms. I think you're right. And that that gap between what is known in Ravnica or the players that are known in Ravnica and what is known about the city and the plane and the history of it leaves a really fertile place for it to fill up with heroic characters from a 5e game. Absolutely. I, I, I do believe that, you know, it's got a lot of a lot of potential for people who, you know, are familiar with, you know, 5e as it has been to just kind of sink into their traditional, you know, heroic story if they want, or to kind of go any other way 
that they want to. Um, so I think kind of uh, that kind of leads a little bit into the n one of the other questions. Um, we've kind of covered some of them all together, but uh, we've talked a lot about magic players, and as far as the Ravnica now being a D&D &D setting, like, what about it do you think will potentially be of interest to people who've never played D&D &D to kind of get them to come over and to try it? Because that's definitely something that I've heard from a lot of people, seen on a lot of the message boards and stuff, that people are like, well, you know, I've never done D&D, &D, but I love Ravnica, so, you know, I'll try it. Um, what's really the, the big draw to you of putting Ravnica in a D&D &D campaign? Uh, CJ, do you want to start this one? Sure. Uh, I think that if you are familiar with it from a magic perspective, the Ravnica blocks in general have been some of the most popular and well-designed um, card sets. So it's something you're very familiar and comfortable with. But they had a lot of diversity, and there were a lot of very competitive decks. There wasn't really one or two or three archetypes you felt you had to play if you wanted to have a good time and, and win a few games. And so from that perspective, I think it makes it an accessible set to people that they enjoyed it and have good fond memories of it. But it also, I think, has a little more resemblance to the real world in terms of the political and socioeconomic uh, themes that run through the set and the fact that it is an urban landscape. Oh, it's um, more relatable. Yeah, you're, yeah, you're right. Exactly. You're absolutely right. Yeah, exactly. So you can find something that makes it easier for you to create a character that you can connect with from your own life in a world setting like Ravnica, whereas... It, Forgotten Realms, there's kind of that fourth wall that's always there between you and your character because it is such a high fantasy setting. Absolutely. I mean, that is kind of a, a little bit of a barrier for people who've never played in a high fantasy setting of what should my character do. Um, Jesse, uh, what do you think will bring over the magic players? My experience is going to tell me that uh, just with the people I work with um, and the, the environment we sort of carry, uh, magic players are interested. They're, they're already looking for the window. So I'm not sure that uh, we're going to have to do a super huge amount of work to get them to come look in the, the, the window shop of Dungeons and Dragons. I think our work is getting them to stay. Magic well, that's players, a good point. Uh, magic players are, are, are exposed to D&D already. They know what's going on. This is, this is sort of like Dungeons and Dragons opening the door for them to let them actually inside easily. And so as a perpetual storyteller and dungeon master myself, I'm looking to how do I get these new players to stay? And for me, it's about crafting adventures that cater to the parts of magic that they love to, to sort of like continue to bridge that gap. It's going to be about letting them interact with the world in a way that lets them feel like they've gained an advantage, uh, that they've got a victory that means something, and that they have the opportunity to outplay and outmaneuver their opponents. Because magic at its core, those players who aren't already like in D&D &D are the players who play magic first and foremost as a strategy game. 
and I think we have to sort of work in our adventure writing to reward that type of play. How do you see those adventures turning out? Like, talk to me on the meta level. So you, we write an adventure that has to do with a runaway Golgari swarm who's going to knock over a, a important state building in the Azorius Senate wants the PCs to stop it. Assuming they're successful, then how do we write that next adventure? How do you take that getting advantage over your enemies and put it into the next adventure? For me, that feels a little bit more pulled back than I'm talking about. For me, the focus for my adventure writing, for when I'm trying to get Magic players to stay, there's a lot of focus on encounter building that I don't typically do because I want them to feel like there's a a certain level of of depth in the moment to moment. I'm uh, I'm not sure that writing an entire adventure arc is the most important thing to do to get them to stay at first. I think that's an important next step, but I think really sort of rewarding them in the here and now with tactical mechanics, decisions that matter, these sort of like in an encompassed adventure, those tactical decisions, um, I say the word tactical, what I really mean is like in the moment, rewarding now decisions are sort of what I'm focused on. Because again, it's, it's really about getting them to enjoy their experience here and then come back to continue playing and enjoying their experience. Magic magic is very much a game where um, you sit down, you do what it is you came to do, you play your game, and then the next game is not... Connected. Connected in any way, right? It's, right. it's a fresh new match. Um, and so they're very used to that. What I'm expecting is for them to want that sort of experience at first and then we weave it in uh the further Uh, along we get if you were going to design a campaign you might have some more monster of the week kind of things and then start working in a meta narrative yeah you're looking at a bigger plan or bigger plot yeah yeah yeah. that's exactly it for me it's it's monster of the week but i drop you drop the clues right it's it's the breadcrumbs that lead you uh, sort of to the realization. Okay, so it's more straight up, you think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think you, I think you have to sort of uh, play it that way, especially for newer players. Oh, players sure. Not familiar sure. with RPGs in general. Interesting. We're gonna write some magic bots together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm down. In your in yeah, think... spare time. Yeah, I think that's a really great point. Like the idea of a micro adventure uh, really fits well in Ravnica. Uh, something where there's only one or two scenes to it probably fits within an hour um, is really interesting and appealing idea to get people who are used to kind of a shorter, faster play style to get a little taste of it, leave them wanting more, and that's how you'll draw them into the the deeper and more complex parts of Ravnica. And not just for Magic players, but anyone who's um, new, because it is a very dense world to kind of try and grasp all at one time. And so I think, you know, longer adventures... Uh, to start people out in this world might wind up confusing them um, because there's just so much that you could, could could potentially run into if you just start wandering through the city. Right. Yeah. The, there's a lot of go- lot of things going on throughout the city. 
All right, then, Gail, uh, we got to get to you then on that last one. Whether or not they, they realize that Magic players are technically doing a role-playing, they are a powerful planeswalker using their you know spells and resources in order to hopefully defeat their their rival, their rival being the, the player that they are playing during their match. And the fact that Ravnica has been such a very popular set, a very well-built set, just overall very well received in the magic community it is definitely probably the best set to try to get that sort of crowd to and say hey maybe D D isn't so bad i'll give it a shot and yeah like what pretty much what everybody else has already said about uh figuring out like what they want to play and stuff like that yeah no absolutely i mean we've kind of covered a lot of the uh, the high points there. Uh, Paige? Yeah, so one thing that I've been thinking about in the context of this conversation is uh, there's a pretty interesting ecology of power in, uh, in Ravnica. So you have the Planeswalkers, who are these individuals of tremendous might and power, and then you have kind of the everyday faceless rabble And then you have the guilds, which are super powerful, but they're a multi-person organization. My question to each of you, as D&D players and as people who think about running and writing D&D, where do the PCs fit into the power structure? Like, do you see them more like a planeswalker, or do you see them more like the faceless guy, or do you see them as the, the heads of guilds, or do you see them as, you know, merely functionaries in the guilds? Um, I'm curious... I'm curious to ask if you were running a Ravnica D&D game tonight, how powerful were your, would you think your PCs were going to be? And I realize this is not a question we had talked about ahead of time, and I'm kind of throwing you a loop, and for that I apologize. But Although it's a, it's a very good question to kind of bring up. So, so why don't you... So don't apologize. You, yeah, so why don't you go ahead with the, with the first answer? Uh, I mean, you you can take it from multiple aspects of, yeah, if you want to just say that all your players are like sort of a younger uh, version of Planeswalker, one that recently got a spark, still trying to figure out who they are and like what they want to do, like as their specialty. Another way to really look at it is you could just have them sort of being an initiate in one of these guilds. Uh, so it's not necessarily just like one of those blank faces, but like somebody, it's it's just like when you have the alignment to the different gods and temples and things like that. So you could already sort of get that feel for, oh, well, so-and-so really looks up to uh, Niv-Mizzet of the Izzet Guild and Oh my god, the number of people who are super anime eyes with hearts in them over his head. <laughs> oh my god. The niv figure, oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, like I almost feel like almost having them more of an initiate instead of like being further into the guilds is probably a, a good starting point or like when I started this little ramble I had uh, probably just like a very new planeswalker and then figuring out where they fit in 
Okay. Well, CJ, do you have other points? On yeah, I, I agree with the concept that guilds do need to, or, or could play a role, and you can have something to aspire to as far as leading or being part of the, the guild's highest council for your character. But I was just sitting here and thinking about it, and I don't think that we ever see in magic any folk who live in Ravnica who aren't associated with a guild. Um, so that's certainly a concept I'll want to see whether that is even touched on in the book or whether somebody is just always assumed to be in a guild. Does that happen at birth? You, Your parents are both of the same guild. Can they be of different guilds? How do you you know, come by that decision? Is it a big, big deal if you are born in Azorius and you defect and go to Simic as an adult? I think there's a lot of dynamics that can be explored through the PC's choices there. Ooh, man, the idea of switching guilds. That's like an adventure writing itself, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, oh, you yikes. could be trying to help someone who is a Boros uh, refugee or something like that. They yeah, I mean, there's, Boros, there's a whole... But... Romeo and Juliet yeah. adventure that just sprung the life in my head, too. <laughs> yeah, I think that there's a lot you can do with that interplay of people between the guilds. But I would be really interested to see if there are people who are the guildless. And, you know, are they an underclass of society? Are they just waiting for inspiration or a really good recruitment pitch? And maybe everybody starts out as guildless and through the course of your adventuring, you know, you, you get to understand and, and work with these different guilds and eventually it becomes an important part of your PC's ascendancy to actually go through a guild joining ceremony of some kind. Oh, neat. Okay, sure. Jesse, what do you think? Um, well, before I jump into where I think players sit in, I'd like to throw out some information about Ravnica. Okay. Um, the guildless do exist. They are called the gateless and they are in fact a lower class. Um, anyone who's anyone on Ravnica is going to be part of a guild. Um, if you're not part of a guild, you're basically no one. There's a, a large uh, part of the sort of the last Ravnica block, the dragon's maze era, uh, where we tell the story of the gateless sort of rebelling against this concept that they are the lower class. Um, and so the gateless do exist. Um, what keeps them gateless uh, it sort of is circumstantial depending on where they are in sort of like this giant cityscape, but effectively they are just a lower class of citizen. Um, and I think it's a really important uh, part of the world that we remember that these people outside of your power structure do exist um, and they have a will. <laughs> so uh, I think, I think there is an adventure there. I think there's a lot of introduction to characters there as well. Um, okay. So, but, looping back to the original question, then, yeah, where do the PCs fit in this ecosystem? So, um, Adventurers League has this really convenient thing called a tier system, which I think is yep. a fantastic way uh, to sort of talk about this. Um, I think it depends on where in the tier system your players are. Um, a fully realized planeswalker, I don't see being outside of fourth tier. I think the easily there are seventeenth level wizards. Outside of that, I think uh, tier one is going to be sort of those those guild initiates. Those uh, my feet are here. I'm getting them wet. Uh, let's do what the guild tells me to do because that's what the guild is telling me to do. And then in that second tier, we're we're like adepts. 
right? We we have some level of agency within our guild. We have probably a little bit less oversight and a little more leniency uh, and a little more empowerment for decision making um, for you know big decisions rather than just our sort of day to day adventuring. Um, and then those those last two tiers are where I see if our players want to be planeswalkers or uh, important voices for our guild, that's sort of really where I see them, is in that, that last two tiers of play, uh, levels, I think it's 12 to 20. Um, if, if I were in the theoretical running a Ravnica campaign today, I'd start them level two or three, because uh, I think that's uh, really sort of the sweet spot for any experienced player. Um, and I would want to run them through their guild. Um, and maybe even at the end of the campaign, some of them do become, or one of them does become a planeswalker, because I think that's another super cool uh, magic-specific story that we can tell. Yeah, and actually have like a, a progression for the player characters seems pretty sweet. So Need to write a level 20 to 30 supplement that is what you do as a planeswalker. <laughs> I mean, like, uh, blow up worlds, I don't know. Right, right, because, you know, that's what you think about when you're past level 20. I mean, really, level 18 or 17, it gets pretty silly. But... So the well, is, is that a possibility that that would be its own class in this book, or a subclass that maybe could be selected by any base class? I mean, I'd... anybody who knows would be under a truly draconic NDA. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so nobody say it nothing. NDA, yes. Yeah. The progression through the guilds that he was talking about, though, kind of reminds me a little bit of the, the faction progression and how you kind of start out at the, the very bottom, and by the time you've worked your way up through good deeds or various adventuring uh, escapades and shenanigans, you've learned and you've kind of gotten the ins and outs of the, the people and worked your way, you know, trial by trial, stick by stick, and, you know. Um, calamity my calamity up to the top you kind of clawed your way up there to become a guild master a powerful wizard a, a planeswalker you say so um, maybe you know some similar progression through that through um, whatever system they adopt for it would kind of make sense to explain like how your characters are rising and progressing in the world of Ravnica I'd be very interested in seeing how they handle that and how they, you know, decide to present uh, the the player characters, like what role the Wizards wants them to be in. Now, I also kind of hope that they don't pin you down to being in, you know, any specific role, but leave that listening an option, perhaps. Um, yeah, we'll, we, we'll all know later, but <laughs> some cool ideas. All right, uh, Paige, do you have a, another one? That was a good one. We know for a fact we're getting a Ravnica book, and it's already been put out there by WizKids that they're making Ravnica miniatures, which means this family is going to be spending some money on some painted plastic. Oh, yeah. Uh, broke within a month of release. <laughs> yup. Is that such a bad thing? Yup. And dice. And Yay. dice. There's going to be special dice. What other sorts of products in your ideal dream world would Watsy and other third-party folks come up with based on Ravnica? Now, I, I want to put my wish in there first. And my wish in there first is that they would open up the DM's Guild to allow us to sell Ravnica-based adventures. So yes. that the... Exactly. 
the whole ecosystem of writers can just go raise ors. <laughs> um, but what other products do you want to see Watsi and other folks come up with? Do you Maybe. for specifically for Ravnica? Because we're going to get into other other planes later, but. Just for Ravnica, what other products would you like to see? Jesse, you want to go first? Uh, yeah, I think I want to see uh, Niv-Mizet's Guide to the City, right? I want I want the Xanathar's Guide to Everything for Ravnica. Um, okay. Right? I want, uh, I want, you know, Boros Legionnaires. I want, a cl- I want uh, PCs that are of races that aren't typical to D&D. Um, Such as? Angels, vampires, um, the they're called uh, teratogens. They're the Golgari swarm, sort of like everyday sure. workers. It's comprised mm-hmm. of like the crawl, which are like insect people, to like skeletons animated by nature magic. Those mm-hmm. sort of like insane races that exist on Ravnica. Uh, and I want to see, I think really importantly, I want to see uh, iconic spells from Magic the Gathering into my wizard spell book. I want Render yeah. Silent as a fifth level spell that's a counter spell that silences. I want like Supreme Verdict that just does a ton of radiant damage. Um, I want these these moments from magic to be able to be pulled into my, my D&D game in like mm. a huge supplemental book. Um, I'm, I'll, I'll give you $50. Like, <laughs> right now, hard cash. <laughs> so, so what you're saying is, is uh, you want to write the magic of Ravnica and put it on the DM's guild. I mean, I absolutely, like, I, without a doubt, I'm already writing these things. You, uh, right. the moment they announced it, my my fingers and my keyboard haven't had a break. Um, right. So, I I would love to put these things in the DM's guild. Um, I don't I don't think I'm allowed to yet. If no, only someone no. affiliated with Adventures League could hear us right now. <laughs> I don't know that Adventures League guys have any guys, gals have any pull in that. I think that's totally oh, a Watsy thing. But yeah, yeah. I had no idea. You gotta go higher. I think you gotta you gotta get Tito and Merles and Chris Lindsay and uh, Mark and, Rosewater and Mert the Moneylender yeah, and, and, and who knows. Right. And Mert the Moneylender. <laughs> I mean Let's all send them <laughs> Strongly worded actual letters. Fair enough. Fair Post, enough. Postcards. Everyone loves postcards. Sure. Okay. So, uh, so Gail, what what products do you want to see come out from Africa? I mean, what what more do I need than you know possibly guild themed dice sets and figures or miniatures of characters that I've only been able to see in a two dimensional card playing world. I mean, almost anything else besides those things would be great. Uh, like Jesse was mentioning, like seeing some of that bleed over of card names and stuff like that. I, I'd really appreciate more on like also a map level. Like I know in the handbooks and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Like okay. I would love to see more of like the intricacies of of the city and that sort of stuff. So like a map of one of the what are they called prospects or squares or blocks or yeah the, the divisions of it yeah. divisions yeah and then maybe like you know this is what the Boros Legionnaire barracks looks like and this is what the um, uh, Red Coast Performer Circus looks like and this is what the shoot I don't know uh, 
Yeah, because we're, we're always Oops, able to see... Temple Bank looks like. Yeah. Like, we always see, like, small snippets of all of this, but it's just like, I, I want something bigger. I want something that actually takes a lot of these iconic cards that we've gotten to see and then, like, actually sort of place them. So it's just like, yeah, if I saw this, I can maneuver my, my way around and see the landmarks of the city as they were. You want the uh, the rap, tourist guide to Ravnica with yeah. notes on architecture and uh, and house plans. Yeah, I know what I want. What do you want? So like the D and D board games that they have with the minis and the details going into how the factions fight and the oh, fighting so like, and all of like that. I, I yeah, well, of Waterdeep or Tyrants of the Underdark or any of the original. Dungeon crawl ones or assaults of the giants. I want a D and D board game featuring Ravnica with lore and little figures and faction infighting, and I I need it in my life <laughs> on on my shelf. Because then I can right. then I have cardboard painted minis and lore all in one little box. Big box. It's a big box. I already know. It'll yeah. Be. Yeah. <laughs> CJ, what about you? Wow, there's so many things that are they're already coming out with that are the things that I would want, right? Minis and um, being my biggest vice. If we had video, you would see the entire so wall broke. behind me. <laughs> the entire wall behind me is just storage for D and D minis. But um, <laughs> but the uh, I don't uh, see a problem. No, no, it's not a problem. Yeah, it look, looks totally fine to me. Feature yeah. not a bug. Total virtual, total virtue uh, to collect them all, right? But um, yeah, another board game or like a betrayal at Baldur's Gate, but set in Ravnica would be awesome. But I would love to play Zaboros Reckoner. I do want all the, the things that Jesse um, had mentioned about having the iconic spells being part of something I can actually use on my character. But I would also really, really like to have a fully realized adventure campaign, hard, like a hardcover D&D story um, featuring someone like Nicol Bolas as the big bad uh, to go along with the campaign setting. Ooh, so that'd be nice. So like out of the abyss, but not out of the abyss, but instead out of straight out of Ravnica. <laughs> right. <laughs> or uh, instead of storm. Right, instead of Storm King's thunder, it's Nicol Bolas' thunder. Yeah, not princes of the apocalypse, but leader uh, guild masters of the Ravnica guilds, or something but along those lines. Guild masters of the apocalypse at that point, right? Yeah, yeah, let's let's do it. Huh? Okay, sure, that'd be cool. I bet I bet people would be spoiling their item too, and not like, not like mere amateurs like myself, but like the real authors would probably be spoiling to write those. All right, so let's let's do let's do the thing that I think is the most fun here. Let's talk about plot seeds. So what we're going to do here is we're going to come up with a few sentences that's like, "Hey, I'm going to pitch you this this epic adventure in a couple of sentences so that our listeners can take them, seize upon them, change them and write their own adventures." Uh, who wants to go first? Me. All right, Jenny, go get him. <laughs> okay, so because Ravnica has had 
so many famous planeswalkers to visit through it. I kind of just want one where, like, Liliana popped in for a visit. She had a little tiff with her on-again, off-again lover, Jace Miller. And <coughs> now there are all these undead roaming through the city. We can't just have those there. We gotta clean them up. And okay, so kind of like gotta whack them all. Yeah, uh, pretty much the 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 gotta whack them all. The the quintessential story of okay, the heroes came to town and they did their big thing, which may or may not have been actually heroic, and now all the little people have to suffer with this aftermath. <laughs> they they get left with with the, the residual. Yes. I can see the Azorius, uh, would it be somebody from Azorius? No, it would be somebody from, um, no, it would be somebody from, from Azorius saying, yes, I am hiring you all about the bounty. We have a, uh, I don't know what units of money they use in Ravnica. We have a 40 gold piece bounty on every zombie, 15 on every skeleton, and uh, if you can bring me back a vampire, you will get 55 gold pieces. Doesn't count those House Demir boys, though. <laughs> <laughs> like, I can see it. It's like, oh, look, I got Fred. No, he's from House Demir. It doesn't count. What about Jane? She's from House Demir. She doesn't also. count. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And then, like, every now and again, like, they wander into, like, a guild house or whatever, and suddenly you've got all these guild agents breathing down on you, and they're like, quickly, my place is of the utmost urgency, and the others are like, no, excuse you, our guild house is more important. In the meantime, Simic Combine is saying nothing, because they're like, we can use these things if we take the arm off that one, if we put the head on that one, with the left thumb of that one. Oh, man, they, they would be so excited to get their hands on one of the scabs. Because right. scabs are just, like, conglomerations of everything anyway. So they're yeah. like, this one, we're taking this. <laughs> but really, this isn't, this isn't all that terrible. This is fine. This is fine. Everything is fine. <laughs> yep, no zombies here. Move along. Move along. Oh. I see nothing wrong. No, nothing, nothing wandered into our guild house. I, I don't understand everyone else's problem. <laughs> yeah. Why are you holding that door closed? No reason. Bad no reason. Damage. That's uh, that's uh, one of our um, uh, water tree monster swamp thing. Yes, that's swamp it's thing over there. One, one just... of the shamble sharks got out again. Right, right there's the one. <laughs> we have this shambling mound, and we have no idea how it got to this plane of existence. Don't worry about it. <laughs> nope. Entirely normal. That happens all the time here. Don't worry about it. So that's fine. Just like you know, all these planeswalkers coming in, and whatever happens, and then the people are like. And then they go, they, you know, they walk off to another plane, and people are like, thanks, ever so much, Ta. <laughs> but why? <laughs> Alright, so who, who has the next plot seed? Well, speaking, um, of Az well, speaking of Azorius, what would happen if Azorius actually did convict someone who was innocent? And the PCs are asked to actually try and poke holes in the flawless Azorius logic mm -hmm. to prove their innocence. And maybe they need to enlist help from some of the other guilds to uh, work together to actually do this. Which everyone would like to do because everyone wants to get Azorius's goat and kind of show them up <laughs> when they actually do make a mistake. I mean, they are, your honor. They, they are some smug bastards. We never yeah, let you get are. our goat. Never. Yeah, no, we're keeping the goats. Not old goaty. But that, you know, that makes a uh, an excellent kind of, he was framed for a crime he didn't commit. 
uh, sort of dramatic uh, uh, courtroom drama plus investigative drama. Like, it's, it's some kind of John Grisham novel. Well, especially <laughs> if the uh, accused happens to be one of the PCs. Ooh, Ooh. then we go straight A team. The plot. <laughs> <laughs> Like that, the the Azorius A team Ravnica, like that's a that's yeah, because they were Boros Legionnaires and they were framed for a crime. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. I have this this mental image of having to hide on like a Golgari rot farm, and your you know your your big bulky Minotaur fighter is just totally fine with this, but you've got your very dainty like Orzov priest, and she wants nothing to do with the muck on her robes and. <laughs> It's just a wonderful kind of mental image there. In the meantime, the the Fruit Loop from Cult of Radkos is like licking the ground or something. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are laughing because you know I'm right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, totally picture it. I like it. I like the it. ground. Who's got another one? Uh, I do, actually. Um, to me. So there's this cool tidbit of lore where the phylactery for the founder of the Golgari guild was lost. But what if it were found? Oh man, that would cause a big problem. Right. Uh, so uh, his phylactery is this cool thing where his he was absorbed into it and then used by the previous leader of the Golgari. Um, so whoever has his, uh, it's now a scepter, has his power. So what do we do with that? <clears throat> like, it, it, it imagine it. I mean, that's like a, a PC getting a hold of something like, I mean, the wand of Orcus or some, you know, the head of Vecna or some equally terrible, powerful artifact, and everybody is going to want to paste them. Mm. Yes, I mean it's, that's it's, putting it lightly. It's like what what do we do now that we have this thing? Do we actually go get it? Do we do we destroy it? Who or what if we weren't the ones to find it? Now what do we do? Panic. Everybody panic. <laughs> yeah, panic. Oh, no. panic is a good choice. Or perhaps they don't even realize what they have there and mm-hmm. there has to be some kind of discovery thing and then um, maybe people are coming after them and they don't understand why. Yeah, there's all these assassination temps and they're like, what is wrong with you people? <laughs> I just got this staff. I don't understand why everyone wants it. I want yeah, it square, like square, square in a game of poker. I mean, it gives me nightmares, but other than that, it's perfectly serviceable to hit people over the head <laughs> it's with. It's so shiny, though. Sometimes <laughs> the they fall apart when I do it, but it's fine. Look at this lovely violet glow. Or like transformed into something and hidden, like oh no, that's Gradient Frida's favorite matzo ball soup cookbook. I don't know why everybody wants it. (laughs) (laughs) And then it gets away, and you got to chase it, and everybody's chasing you, and then there's a car chase. (laughs) Because why not? (laughs) Yeah, I've seen that movie. I think Mm -hmm. that's a good one. That's a good one. one. Yeah, give me another one. Uh, well, what we learned in the the Return to Ravnica block, that there's this whole, you know, sort of party that they go on, and they have their champions, and everybody gets to 
do the the maze, the dragon's maze run. So you can kind of have like an athletic. What is the dragon's maze run? I have, I have give me a moment. Okay. So there's. I, I, I ask because I only have things. limited magic knowledge and limited ravnica knowledge. Uh, it's really complex, but it's effectively complex. There, there's a system of uh, sort of tunnels and sewerways uh, and gateways that form a maze through the entirety of Ravnica. Niv-Mizet was the person who discovered it, but it was created by Azor the Lawbringer, uh, you know, from Azorius. Right. Um, it was a way to make sure the most intellectually powerful person on Ravnica uh, became the living guild pact in order to sort of preserve it uh, and make sure that it, it didn't, uh, the, the document uh, didn't like sort of vanish with the ages, that there was a person specifically responsible for safeguarding it, I believe is the broad stroke version of that tale. I, my, my apologies, I called it the wrong thing. It's called the implicit maze. Yeah. And yes, the, the one who gets to the actual finish line, because it's a series of mana paths on the ley lines throughout the guild gates and districts. So it's like the one who wins gains the power behind it for the guild. So it kind of like brings it back and has it more or less like a trophy. <laughs> so it's kind of like won. running man times American Ninja warrior, but also magic. So right. And what I'm thinking here yeah. is that, it, it kind of, it connects arcane landmarks of all of the tin guilds, and it's kind of cool, I'm reading here, is that it extends, you know, in more than two dimensions, so it's not just like your stereotypical hedge maze or whatever, but it's more like a code carved into the foundation of the entire city when it's built that kind of acts as like a fail-safe in case, like, a new guild pact cannot be formed that would give the maze runners access to eliminate the guild's in their entirety before, you know, a war started that kind of destroys all the kits and caboodles, everything. Right. Huh. That'd be, that like, that'd have to be a really high-level campaign, though, I think. I think, Sounds I think fun, yeah. Though. Yeah. It's, uh, it's actually completed uh, in the storyline by none other than our very own Jace Bellerin. Of course. Mm-hmm. So, Jace, Jace becomes the Living Guild Pact with the help of uh, some people... A lot of people, actually. He's kind of an idiot. Um, kind so. of. <laughs> uh, yeah, but uh, what's really cool is that um, Azorius, uh, Azor, the lawbreaker, was basically like, if they can't fi- figure it out, just blow it all up. You know? When in doubt, blow it up. <laughs> but the idea of uh, acting as champions for a particular guild to do some kind of task in competition with other guilds is a great one for any number of story ideas. Because additionally, like, in one of the guilds, they had a champion, and somebody else in the guild's like, no, I want to be champion, and they, like, stole the champion title from, from the other guy. So it's like you also have, like, an internal conflict within your own guilds, too, on who gets to gets to represent. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. All of the little internal conflicts and strifes within the various guilds would make you know, excellent um, kind of jumping off points for any number of adventures because you've mm-hmm. got those small uh, grabs for power as well as the, the bigger ones that you're going to see on a larger scale that would be better for higher tier stuff as well as just like 
the the daily goings on and skirmishes in a city of that size that you know can come up with any number of uh, activities or mishaps or, or whatnot that you need to send your your players of w whatever power level that they've gotten to off to to deal with because there's just so much going on in a city of this size that you know yeah. always something to see and investigate i just so so what would be a good low-level adventure? Oh my gosh. Um, so the Simic. <laughs> so the Simic. <laughs> they're very good at building things, and they, they love they love biology, and they're great at building things. I, they're not great at containing them. In fact, no. one time they almost ate the city. Um, but... <laughs> it happens! Um, so, it does. You know, it's uh, I built a giant horrible bio monster. It's kind of eating the gateless. It's a little bit of a problem. Just, so just a little bit. Any any number of like uh, hilarious biological hodgepodge animals escaping from like a simic zoo it sounds like a fantastic like level one adventure where you're having party members like wrangle the horse fish. Um, oh oh! Not only does the, do the simic creatures escape the zoo, a cult of Radco Circus. Finds them. Oh, so you're trying to like part keep of the them show. from going to the circus? I was going to say like uh, a mob of you know little goblin heirs from the boroughs finds them and and takes pity on them and adopts them and brings them in and makes them into their little babies. But I like yours too. <laughs> yeah, there there are there are many like guilds that you could just pit it, pit against it at that point. I just, yeah, I just like how the goblins are both so nice and so cruel. They're like, oh, this is this is a poor little thing. We will take it in and make it, and it will also be a goblin. <laughs> and then we will use it in a trebuchet as ammunition, and right. it will also have explosives in it, and then it will blow up. Well, oh, right. it, to be fair, there goes the flying horsefish. <laughs> to fly. To be fair, they're not going to do anything to their adopted offspring that they wouldn't very well do to their own self. That, very not, true. They are equal like opportunity. For the good of the clan. <laughs> So maybe, I maybe because the angel told me to. <laughs> I want to write is a uh, is a murder mystery in House Demir, and they're trying <laughs> like hell to cover it up. And so like, no, nothing's wrong. We're all fine here. We're all fine. And of course, nobody in House Demir trusts anybody else in House Demir because you know you shouldn't. And uh, so they have to specifically find people from other guilds outside House Demir to mm. solve the murder mystery, and then you interact with a bunch of people who are like, hey, you should go talk to this person, or hey, I'm pretty sure that guy did it, or hey, I'll just give you a whole lot of money if you'll tell people that this other person did it. Yeah. You can write a political thriller, Tinker Tailor to Soldier Spy, but all <laughs> House Demir. <laughs> that, yeah, that, that, would be, that would be interesting. Simply trying to survive during a Rakdos celebration has a, a lot of opportunities for characters of any level. That is one entire adventure is one real, real exciting party. Yeah. Escape from Cult of Rakdos. Starring Escape from the circus. Uh, yeah, no, that'd be funny. Like, some guild got pissed off with one of their people and they're like, fine! gonna dump you in Cult of Rakdos. Those guys are crazy. <laughs> oh no, not again. Oh, God. <laughs> and their mom is like, hey, will you please save my baby? 
Or even like like a heist, someone trying to steal like a new magical thing from the Islet League or some grand new invention or I mean there's any number of things where we're trying to sabotage the other guilds or just yeah. just sabotage for the sake of sabotage really. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Deliver this package to the Izzet Laboratory over on Lamplighter Street. It's got to be at least five foot in from the walls. <laughs> you look for it very quickly. Look and for the I... X drawn on the floor. It's very important. And <laughs> I would advise you that it is in your best interest to get it there forthwith, perhaps within the next uh, 90 minutes. 90 minutes. And, and, and when you get it there, shake it three times. No more, no less. <laughs> and then run away. And three shakes only, Vasily. <laughs> three shakes and place it perfectly upside down. And then... You best hurry away, buddy. <laughs> or not. Or not. Whatever. <laughs> okay. Uh, do we have any more? I think we can go. Well, nice. Selesnia has to send somebody on a quest to go find a shrubbery. Maybe a second <laughs> one. For the two. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. And a path through it. Go out into the wild to fetch the shrubbery, and the gruel clan's like, no, oh, this is my shrubbery. <laughs> they don't even like it. They just won't let you have it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, can we have it? No. Well, do you guys want it? No. Can we have it? No. <laughs> it's like they'll challenge you to an honor duel for the shrub they don't want. Yeah. I mean, it's not beyond the gruel clans. <laughs> I don't like when, it, but it's just my shrubbery. When they get to the part about cutting the tree down uh, with a herring, you get the herring from Simic because that actually has... Yeah, it's got it's got it's enough. Not, it, they call it a herring, but it's actually a sawfish. <laughs> uh. righty. Well, I think that uh, is going to wrap up this episode, uh, this conversation on Ravnica. I think we will probably have more going forward in the future. Uh, Wait, what, just one, one quick question. Just one yeah, quick question. No, for of course, of course. All right. You can only answer this with the name of the plane, but what is the next magic plane that you hope will be fleshed out for D&D? Amonkhet. Amonkhet, all right. What else we got? Ixalan. Ixalan, all right, I like it. Dominaria. Oh, we, already had, we, we already had a, a, a thing for Ixalan. Oh. Yeah, no, but I'm talking like a, like a full Oh, book. like full fleshed out, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, more than just the little book. Mm. Dominaria. Uh, cons would be good. Which one? Mm. Uh, the cons of Tarkir, so ah. I guess plain being Tarkir, sorry. <laughs> I, of course, would take Innistrad. Mm-hmm. That's a good one. Yeah. I do okay. love Innistrad, but with Ravenloft, I think you could merge them together and it could kind of be yeah. the same thing. Yeah. That would, that would be have... an easy merge. Because I, I could write like it. Ravenloft. Oh. I could write a treatise on how Ravenloft and Innistrad are incredibly different, but that's that's an entire episode in and of itself. <laughs> <laughs> how they're okay. not the same. All right, Paige. Thank you guys so much for coming to talk to the D&D Roundtable about this. I, your enthusiasm is absolutely infectious, and I'm super excited about this book. And maybe we can follow up with you guys once it's actually out and what's in it and what, what else you want to be in it. Yeah, hey, no problem. Thanks for inviting me. With that said, uh, we're going to tell everyone where to find you. Jesse, let's start with you. Where can everyone find you online? 
Well, uh, my Facebook is me, um, so you can just find me on Facebook. Uh, but also, I sometimes use a Twitter. Uh, the Twitter is at UNTWarlock. It's just all one word. Uh, and I tweet about Dungeons and & Dragons and LGBT stuff there. So, Excellent. Uh, Gail, where can everyone find you? Uh, I, too, have this thing called Facebook and a, a Twitter uh, my normal Twitter is at Gail Powder Mage. Uh, Gail spelled my way of Gail with an underscore before Mage. And additionally, uh, my shameless plug earlier of I do altering in art. You can also find that on Twitter at TCG underscore Surgeon. So TCG Surgeon. And CJ, where could everyone find you if they were looking for you? On Twitter, you can find me at Dungeon Master CJ, all one word. Um, you can also see me at Game Hole Con later this year. I'll also be at Winter Fantasy next year, Origins next year, and Gen Con next year. Mm, busy, busy. You sound like me. Uh, you can find me personally on Twitter, as always, at Jenny Love Day, on Facebook at the same page. You can find me on Twitter at Paige Lightman. That's P-A-I-G-E-L-E-I-T-M-A-N. You can also look me up on Facebook by the same name. And you can, of course, always find the Roundtable on Twitter at D, the letter N, D, Roundtable. Same thing on Instagram. And find us on Facebook on our page, facebook.com slash D&D Roundtable. Leave us feedback, comments, and suggestions. We are always interested in hearing what you want to, to hear us talk about and open to your... You can also send us an email to dndroundtable at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of The Roundtable. We'll see you next time as we come back to talk about Eberron. We have some more. great, great guests. You guys are going to be super excited. Some very exciting guests. Thank you so much for tuning in. That's it for this episode of The Roundtable. Table.